In Susan Conley's novel Landslide, a fishing accident leaves protagonist Jill's husband, Kit, hospitalized in Canada. Jill is left to return to the couple's home in Maine to look after their two sons, two teenaged boys she refers to as the wolves, and not without good reason. Money was already tight for the family. Kit's prognosis worsens, meaning a longer hospital stay and mounting tensions at home with the boys. And then Jill suspects that her husband has been unfaithful. As Jill further becomes the pillar holding everything up to keep the family together, life at home in the main fishing village starts to unravel. A veritable landslide about to overwhelm them all. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. Landslide is one of those confusing words in English. You can win by a landslide or a landslide can bury you. The novel Landslide by Susan Conley opens with the protagonist Jill and her two teen sons, Sam and Charlie, driving in the car and listening to the Fleetwood Mac song, Landslide. The lyrics go, I've been afraid of changing because I've built my life around you. And that negotiation is what we learn is about to befall Jill as her husband's health issues worsen and her teen sons can't manage the precipitous changes all around them. I spoke to Susan Conley about her novel, Landslide. Can you tell us about the novel just for our listeners maybe who haven't read it yet? Landslide is the story of um, a mother and her two teenage sons who she calls the wolves on a small island in Maine. They're trying to figure out um, how to really survive after their um, father husband has been terribly injured in a fishing accident. So it's a story about um, a mother and how she connects to her teenage sons. And it's also a story about the changing face of um, working class, fishing class Maine. Uh, And it's a story about whether or not a family can really endure. Yeah, this idea of landslide is, it's ever present in a lot of different ways. And I was really struck by the different denotations of this word at different moments in the book. So it's like this sort of landslide of issues for Jill. And it begins with this accident her husband is involved in. And he's not just in the hospital. He's in the hospital in Nova Scotia. And it just feels like it's such a much bigger problem uh, for her that way. But just that idea of, of landslide not not a a win a landslide victory (laughs) by any stretch but so many things all around her and and the novel begins with um this initial issue of uh, of the husband in the hospital can you talk a little bit about kit yeah i can um and i really am so um grateful to you for really what i would say pressing on that word landslide it's really a writer's greatest hope that a reader will pick up on these threads that we're pulling on. And I was really trying to unpack that word over and over. I mean, starting with the Stevie Nicks song. Yes. And and this idea of love, right, coming tumbling down and then climate change and um, financial looming disaster and then and then Kit's accident. Um, So when he is 
is injured and, and um, you know, he's helicoptered to the nearest hospital. He's been fishing um, off of the George's banks and he gets taken to Nova Scotia and suddenly the, the narrator of our novel, Jill, has that classic sort of um, choice to make, to be with him or to be with the wolves because teenage boys at the age they're on and because they live on an island, they can't be alone for too long. And, and that's kind of one of the tension lines of the whole book is how can she sort of be um, all things to all people? And how is she kind of putting a finger in the dam of this landslide of change that's really all around her? Will her, will her husband, will Kit ever be able to fish again? That was a big question I was asking in the book, Yvette, and a big question that fishermen here in Maine are asking really every week, every day. It was such uh, an interesting part of the novel f for me. Um, and I, I feel like I learned so much about Maine. And it was so interesting, just this idea of um, of the, the fishing culture there. Um, and there's so much riding on it. So here's Jill keeping the home life going and the landslide continues. There's this tension about finances for the family because this is Kit's world. Um, his job isn't as lucrative as maybe it once was in this part of the country in Maine. And there are all kinds of huge reasons for that and then some smaller ones too. But what it lays bare is how vulnerable he is and how, yeah, she really can't, there are so many things she can't control. And if he's laid up and if he has some uh, long-lasting effects from this horrendous accident, what's going to happen to them? And I, you know, I looked up the lyrics of, of this Stevie Nicks song that I've always loved, right? The Fleetwood Mac song. Um, I've been afraid of changing because I've built my life around you. And I just kept thinking about uh, those lyrics while I was reading this novel. And it really applies in so many places in the book. Um, but with Kid, I think because, you know, he is the love of her life, it seems. Um, I mean, she basically returned to Maine because of him. Um, right. So, uh, but yeah, so the, the idea of fishing and the idea of how this is their world and this is their life and how it has just come to this very critical moment where they're wondering if they're ever going to return to this life and then and if not what in the world is he going to do and what is she going to do right right and i sort of i, I sort of think of that as sort of the high stakes of the novel you know the real um the real sort of tension line and then and then we have in some ways what would be considered the lower stakes of the novel the but this was this is the the tightrope that i think many parents walk and in this case this mother jill walks is her children are have their own personal disasters right mm -hmm. every day or week and she's constantly sort of mediating you know these big issues and then these really small issues like why don't you ever leave the house so i can have sex with my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he wants to cook with the girlfriend. <laughs> you know, right. So yeah. It might be code for more. <laughs> um, so there's constantly this sort of sense of 
of what next and Jill on her heels. And, you know, um, I tried to have her face a lot of these things with humor because I found that that was the best way to, you know, allow them all to kind of proceed day to day. But then by the time she gets to the hospital, there's really nothing humorous about that for, for a good while. Um, Kit is in trouble. Yeah. You know, these boys, these wolves, at first I sort of chuckled at that, like, oh, ha, ha, you know, teenage boys, hee, yeah. <laughs> hee. And then I thought, oh, my goodness, these boys are wolves. <laughs> um, it does feel like there's this tipping point of all of these issues that she's experiencing with them. I mean, part of it is their ages, that you know, they're, they're teens and they're very close in age. But it's also in how they react to their father's accident and his absence like charlie's the older one he's dealing with wanting to be independent and wanting to entertain his girlfriend and all all of that but sam he's experiencing things that seem a little bit more dire i mean he's still um living through the trauma of losing his best friend liam and so this is just a a devastating thing for Sam but it kept thinking about how Jill is in the house with these these two wolves um, and and this idea of masculinity in this novel that also seeps over into the story about Jimmy Kit's father and and really Kit himself you know it's this really profound part of the story Kit's mother died when Kit was young and there's a story there about Kit's emotional response to that or, or how emotional could he have been as a boy um, and the way that Jimmy allows him to mourn or the way that Jimmy mourns if you're a boy or if you're a man uh, or if you're a boy who could not save your mother from dying as happened with Kit and then Sam someone that we see as it says in the novel who's self-sabotaging in mm. in these ways as a consequence of, of losing his friend. There's this, just this line in, in this novel about masculinity that I found so important. Um, there's a, a line in the novel that says, lots of boys had distorted ideas of what being strong and being masculine meant, and they suffered when they didn't need to. That just, and that comes early on in the book, and uh, and that just, I carried that with me through the whole reading. Just such an important idea. This this idea of masculinity. Oh God, I'm really so happy to talk about that. That was such a resonant and important line for me when I wrote it, and it it felt so emotionally true to my experience of, you know, being a a, a witness and um, a neighborhood mother to I I say dozens and dozens of boys and seeing how vulnerable they are um, and how um, much rich, rich thinking is going on and, you know, in their inner lives and how misread they are. Um, and we know these things, I mean, these things are in our, in the ether. We know, we've heard about the silenced boy, but I hadn't read a lot about that boy in, in, in fiction, in contemporary fiction. I feel often like the teenage boy can, be more of a stock character. Mm-hmm. And I was determined to give them respect on the page 
and to show them in some peril and see how they'd react. Um, I really, I really, um, I really also was ex exploring that. There's a whole multi-generational um, sort of legacy of masculinity here on the main coast, which you point out with, with Jimmy, the, the grandfather. So how could I get from Jimmy to Kit, his son, and then to these really emotionally literate boys, but still boys that were, were, are not going to show their cards very often. They're, they're going to play, particularly Sam is going to play tough and sarcastic, but then he's going to want to lie in bed and cuddle with his mom. Mm -hmm. or, or stop somewhere to eat. They're, they eat yeah. so much. <laughs> <laughs> Always have to feed the wolves. <laughs> but I thought that was so perfect. I thought, yeah, it's so realistic. You have to, if you have a novel with these two boys, they have to be eating all the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> They're at the hospital and they have to go figure out where the vending machines are. Of course, of course. <laughs> of course, always. So no, I, I just appreciate uh, that, you know, the, the characterization. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought of that before. The, this idea that, yeah, sometimes teenage boys come through in the contemporary novel as these stock characters, you know, flipping their hair so it falls, you know, Justin Bieber like early aughts Justin Bieber like um you know it, it and that's really unfair because then when you see them come face to face with Kit in the hospital and they see him and he's ashen and he seems so beaten down the boys cry of course they do it's you know it's just so, it's just a, another dimension of uh teenage boys that we get to see that we rarely get to see in in contemporary novels. Thank you for that. I I wanted to um, find a way to tell their story, and then of course not have this be a YA novel because it was Jill's story as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I really I kind of walked that line, um, and I had I took great pleasure actually in writing those the boy scenes. Um, you know, these are not, Sam and Charlie are not boys I know, but I had such fun creating them um, from sort of amalgamations of, of so many boys that I do know. Um, and somehow I know them too, because when you describe uh, Sam walking in the room with the oversized t-shirt and his little skinny legs sticking out and the shirt looked like a dress, which he would have hated. I just thought, oh my gosh, I've seen that <laughs> somewhere before. <laughs> So you nailed it in all kinds of ways. <laughs> yeah, he would have been really angry about yeah. that. <laughs> well, so tell me about Instagram in this novel. It was really a, such an interesting part of the book for me. Oh, I'm so glad you are taking us there. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I'm 53. I got my first cell smartphone, I think, when I was 40. And... I feel like I I am that that um, that that sort of dividing line between the smartphone kind of revolution and the the luddites and I don't live on my phone but I have I have children I have teenagers and they have this kind of um, love affair with this their phones that it always looks like it's unlocking something for them like there's this running narrative. Um, and 
it was too easy a kind of a cop out to just disparage Instagram. But I really wanted to just kind of consistently press on it again to show that it's like the, it is the running narrative of, of many teenagers lives. It's, it's Instagram right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's also Snapchat, but it's really Instagram. Um, and um, how the moms Jill starts to like decode Sam's life in a way through Instagram. And I never really thought that she was doing anything wrong. I mean, he allowed her to do it and then sort of forgot that he allowed her <laughs> to do it. Um you know, I was thinking about how here, here's Jill. She's a, a documentary filmmaker. She's been doing research on these fisheries and these people in Maine whose livelihoods are so threatened by all kinds of things. And in this moment, it's sort of like they could all be the subject of one of these, you know, devastating stories. And then I kept thinking about how she's so kind of big picture and then small picture zooms into smaller stories. And I, I kept sort of juxtaposing that against the idea of Instagram for her. <laughs> just was, you know, like the, the, her brain doesn't work in the Instagram way. And she's trying so hard to to put the puzzle pieces together to figure out Sam, you know. And they're so, it, it's a, it seems so life and death for, for part of the novel too for her. Oh gosh, I really, I really like that, um, that frame that you're right, she can't solve for him. And in fact, she says at one point, I think sometimes I, I'm going to get it a little wrong, but the idea is that she thinks she's figured out the puzzle of him mm-hmm. and then something will distract her some other, you know, part of their life and she'll mi- she'll miss the moment. And then she'll have to go back to trying to solve for him again. And I think this is, um, of common experience for <laughs> for mothers, but um, it, the stakes feel really high with Sam because he has lost um, his friend um, in a in a in a terrible accident. Um, and I have to say, the kind of accident that unfortunately happens a lot more than we might think. Mm. Um, and um, she's trying to um, kind of mediate his pain because uh, I think in the book there's this idea that you can't come through the front door sometimes when you ask one of the boys about their emotional state you have to sort of come through the side door mm-hmm. and then you see if you can infer Jill's inferring and 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 just sort of trying to read the the subtext always with him and then Instagram offers these great clues and also it's very dramatic so it's it was fun to include Instagram because kids have to write distilled little n- narratives of their lives on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It is. It's such a, um, a window into his world that she would not, obviously <laughs> she would not otherwise know about for good or ill. Um, but while all this is going on, Jill makes a discovery about her husband while he's in the hospital and it throws this massive horrible wrench into what's already a terrible situation so here's marsh um marsh is this woman who works with kit um and you know jill's just suspicious of their friendship i'll just say that much and um i'd considered how horrible that was that while she's consumed with so many problems at home and worried about so many other things global warming and every other thing and of course the weather's horrible um, and, and 
um, causing all kinds of problems for her there too, just the immediate um, terrible cold weather. Um, that then she has to think about um, her husband surviving the accident while she's so suspicious and feeling so bad about the possibility that he has this friendship or something with Marsh. Um, so then, you know, th- so now it ramps up. There's more, you know, in this landslide, there's more falling down on top of her um, in that part of the book. Yeah, there sure is. Um, you know, for me as a writer, I like to try to ask really incisive questions that I sort of overlay over over the whole narrative. And, you know, one of those questions was, um, you know, at what cost change? You know, at what cost can we change? And do we have to suffer when we change um, or suffer through change? And Kid is going through this sort of transformational change. I think he knows that he may fish again, but it's not going to be the same. The, you know, the the fish stocks are declining so dramatically. He's been so badly injured. Can he fish again? And he develops this friendship with this woman named Marsh. And it, it almost seems like a kind of self-punishment in a way, because he doesn't seem to want to intentionally hurt Jill. Um, but he seems like he's unable to be vulnerable with Jill, I think. That's how I would describe it. And that's something that I was really exploring in the latter part of the novel was, could Kit then be vulnerable? Um, And and maybe I'll just leave it at that. That is a a very interesting way of looking at the way that his character evolves. I mean, because it has to. He had this terrible accident, and he's really vulnerable uh, in, in such an extreme way, relying on her and not knowing if he's ever going to be able to support the family in the same way. And I mean, yeah, his whole world is upside down. So I see that. How else to, to fight off uh, being any more vulnerable? How, how else to stave that off? I think, I think it's, he's a very rich character. Um, he seems a, a little Greek godlike to me from the descriptions. <laughs> But, um, you know, and so very interesting character, but and not not the least bit flat, you know, not the he's it's a very, very rich character. And I think I I think I appreciated that because it felt like feels like Jill is is holding so much up for the family. But then you can kind of see the the kind of relationship that kid has with the boys and how he's able to encourage the kind of relationship that Jill has with his, with Candy, you know, with his sister um, and and with Jimmy. So it's just very interesting because when Jill does have to rely on Jimmy and Candy even more, it's just very, the dynamics there are so interesting to me when, you know, she has to sleep on the waterbed and, you know, <laughs> all of that. It's just, it was just so, it was just so real. I just thought that that's, this is the way extended families uh, really have to function sometimes when it's just the most inopportune, you know, part of our lives when something terrible has happened. So true. Can she count on them and, 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 
yes, she can. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate what you were sort of saying about Kit. He's, he's, uh, I, I'm, I hear you when you say that he feels larger than life or, and, and yet he is, he's a rich character. There are these people in Maine, these, not people, these fishermen who I know I grew up in this world, this, this fishing coastal Maine world. And almost to a person they're 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 charismatic and larger than life they they spend their life on the sea and you know i tried to capture a little bit of that sense of danger that jill felt every time the boat went out but the, the stakes couldn't be higher and so there's this incredible kind of um sense of seizing the moment this energy around kit um that you can feel like it's palpable and i think be really interesting to have seen Kit more when he wasn't really under such incredible stress, mm-hmm. because I do think he was at times a, and will be again. I hope a, a, a really, um, really wonderful father, someone who's really there. Yeah, I was thinking too about the way that his his job is so unpredictable. And how it's getting harder and harder all the time. I mean, even before the accident. But then also the the idea of gentrification is just this other major topic in the novel that consumes Jill when she's not worrying about so many other things. And there are so many warring elements for him that I think that I wonder if he can articulate in the same way that Jill is doing for us in in the narration, and yet we know he must be absolutely consumed by the idea of being so completely um, uh, helpless. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I was doing research for the novel, I would you know drive all around the the, the coast, up particularly far far north, and I would talk to fishermen friends of friends of friends and fishermen that I had been directed to that um, were, were so generous with their time. And it was almost like the big question in the air was one that couldn't be addressed, which really for me was, well, what, what is Maine if, if there are no fishermen left, no commercial fishermen left, what is Maine? And, And I would sort of try to kind of hint at it. And that was not something that any of the fishermen could really imagine and yet their their industry is just decimated so i think there's a feeling of um for the fishermen i met and and for kit it's still very much we're gonna live in the moment i think perhaps to the you know their peril um there's because as you point out there's so many things they can't control they can't, there's so many, so many things they can't control. Yeah. And to bring it back to Jill, I feel like she has a little bit of that quality of, um, of being a kind of a, a fixer, problem solver. And certainly I feel like sometimes it seems like the boys want her to have that role and sometimes they don't want to have anything to do with her, <laughs> but you know, she's sort of in the situation so when if kit's dealing with these sort of you know huge issues that have no easy resolution um jill is sort of still always there um 
thinking about, you know, thinking about Sam's favorite meal <laughs> that she can cook to uh, to soften the situation in that in one or another moment. I don't know. I, there's something about that character that just comes through for me about even sacrifice things that you know. I was thinking about the the soundtrack of this book. There's a, you know there's Tom Petty and Fleetwood Mac and Holland Oates and all of these great references to these songs and there's somehow the soundtrack of Jill's younger days and she's always sort of thinking back on her life especially when something's not going so well for her and she thinks about when she could travel or she was in some romance and or she was on a a road to meet her goals to be an artist you know to fulfill her dreams and then as a wife and mother it's the music that's the soundtrack of that sort of nostalgia of that looking back and yet it's the soundtrack of you know riding in the car with her sons and I don't know I just feel like she's such um she's just somebody who carries her past around with her while she's in these moments with her family and trying to just do the best she can. There's just something about her in this kind of um, little bit of a hero's journey that she's on that that I just appreciate so much. Mm, that's a really interesting phrase you landed on that I really like that she's carrying her past around with her. And I would, I would sort of um, dare to say that this coastal Maine that the novel is rendering is a place where the past is not very far behind ever. You know, I think I was very intentional about grounding it in this mid coast Maine and using like place as an architecture to explore um, self really. And um, this idea that the legacies of fishing, the the ghosts of fishing, the the stories of the big big you know cod migrations and the years of the of the, the boom fishing that's all just right over the shoulder of someone like Kit. I mean, he's got three generations in that fishing village, um, so I think the past is is right there for Jill too. I mean, she only grew up two hours north. Um, and that's the thing about Maine as a locale. It's it's a tiny state in the, sen- in the sense of how many people live here. And you f- you do, you feel the past here in a, in a really powerful way. Susan Conley, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my great pleasure. Thank you so much. Susan Conley is the author of Landslide. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Bree Kirkham is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides. <laughs>